Hi guys, I'm your host, Nicole Gentile, and I'm a holistic health coach and physician associate. I want to welcome you to the show if this is your first time tuning in, and if you've been here before, I am so grateful to have you back. The purpose of elemental healing is to shed light on various parts of the whole, as it relates to health maintenance and disease prevention. My goal is to keep my listeners in the know when it comes to new developments in Western medicine, timeless disease prevention practices, evidence-based herbal therapies, and alternative healing methodologies. Hi, everyone, and welcome back. If you're already a friend of the podcast, it's so good to see you again. And if you're new to the series, I'm grateful that you found us. Now, our last episode was a pretty fun one. Granted, that was my first time introducing my singing bowls to the microphone. I would have definitely done things a little differently, knowing what I now know. But I've gotten a lot of positive feedback, especially with friends of the show who suffer with anxiety or insomnia. So if you haven't checked that one out, shout out to that episode, give it a listen as you're drifting off to sleep tonight, and just watch your tensions melt away. Now today, we're moving in a different direction as I kick off a new sub-series called Health Bites, where we're going to be highlighting a narrow focus subject of your body's anatomy, physiology, or function. And then we're going to look at how it might affect other aspects of your health. Now I'm kind of curious to see how this goes myself. For our first Health Bite discussion, I wanted to take you to the beginning of it all and start with part of what is called our aerodigestive tract. Never heard of it? Well, that's okay. It's a cool and descriptive name for the organs and tissues of the upper part of the digestive tract and respiratory tract. Kind of reminds me of the names that we use for celebrity couples, kind of like um, Kim Ye or Benifer or Jayonce. Um, that, that is one, right? Okay. So smashing those two functions together to make science sound both legitimate and hip, right? So, okay, the aerodigestive tract. All right, so this is a little frustrating. I really want to insert an appropriate um, Steven Tyler joke here, but I don't think I should subject you to that this early in our conversation. Um, but just make a note of it. Okay. So as I was saying, the aerodigestive tract is specifically the part of the digestive tract that is anatomically and functionally pertaining to or involving the airway and the digestive tract. In other words, we're specifically looking at the airway of the pharynx and larynx, the pulmonary tract, and the upper digestive tract when we're talking about the really cool sounding aerodigestive system. Now I'm going to divide this health bite into a couple parts because today I really just want to keep it focused and I want to talk to you about your salivary glands. Okay, so you might be thinking, um, why do you want to talk about drool? Or, uh, really, what's so cool about drool? Well, I'm going to have to stop you right there. You know why? Because drool is cool. Let me tell you a little something about drool. Now, what you might think is a nasty vehicle for things like mono or spitbacks is actually something a lot of people take for granted. So as you know, saliva moistens the mouth for comfort. It lubricates as you chew and swallow and neutralizes harmful acids. It also kills germs and prevents bad breath, defends against tooth decay and gum disease, protects enamel and speeds up wound healing. 
Actually, most wounds, injuries, or surgical sites of the mouth heal up remarkably faster than other areas of the body. I've always been fascinated by this. Um, it's probably because there's an increased blood supply in this area, but I'm also going to guess that saliva probably has something to do with this as well. Now, conditions like stroke, yeast infections of the mouth, yes, we do get those. It's called thrush, and it's often caused by medications. Um, also, Alzheimer's disease, post-radiation conditions, uh, especially for like oral cancers, um, autoimmune diseases such as Sjogren's syndrome or HIV or AIDS can affect your ability to salivate. Diabetes, which is commonly seen in over 10% of the U.S. population, so probably, you know, some people that are listening to the show may be pre-diabetic or diabetic, um, they may be able to relate because diabetes can present with dry mouth um, as the high sugar in the blood damages the nerves that control the salivary glands. Now, you might not think that this is a big deal. Unless, of course, you're living with or know someone who is living with one of these conditions, so you've seen firsthand. And you can really appreciate the challenges and the chain reaction that a decreased salivary production causes beyond the discomfort of dry mouth. So as I was saying before, saliva helps with swallowing and chewing. Yes, we know that. Well, it can also help prevent infections from developing in your mouth and throat. It's protective. So um, it's produced in the salivary glands. Yes, we've established that. And these glands empty into your mouth through openings called ducts. Now, I thought this was fascinating. There's somewhere in the range of 1,000 minor salivary glands throughout the mouth and the air digestive tract. Okay, that's my Aerosmith sound. That was really bad. I might have to cut that out or I don't know. We'll see how I'm feeling if I'm feeling lazy. Um, yeah, so actually the number um, is probably somewhere between 750 to 1,000 minor salivary glands, but it's pretty remarkable. Now, unlike the major salivary glands, um, we've got our minor salivary glands and our major salivary glands. So um, these minor glands are too small to be seen without a microscope. Now, half, half of these microscopic glands are found in the hard palate of the mouth. That's, you know, if you wash your hands, of course, take your thumb and press on the roof of your mouth where it's, you know, hard and you kind of feel almost like a bony structure pressing back. Um, that's your hard palate, um, like between, you know, where your teeth are. And while the rest of these minor salivary glands can be found in the lining of the lips or the tongue even, as well as inside the cheeks, your nose, sinuses, and your larynx, your voice box. But it's really the major salivary glands, which we hear about the most. I mean, I mean, that is if you're just like really, really cool and you run with other really, really cool people that talk about facial anatomy, of course. Um, so the major salivary glands are the largest and most important salivary glands. They are the true workhorses that produce most of the saliva in your mouth. And like most team players, your salivary glands work in pairs. We can divide the types of glands into three pairs. So first, we're gonna start with the largest. You've got the parotid glands. Now you'll find them right along the posterior jawline and in front of your ears. So if you kinda of like put your thumb on 
the base of your jaw and the back by your ears and then run your index finger up to like right in front of your ears they're basically in that area kind of near your masseter muscle like when you chew and bite down or clench your teeth you'll feel your masseter pop out um, unless of course you've had Botox in your masseter then you'll know it's working um, <laughs> and that's just around the area um, just kind of posterior to that is where your parotid glands are so the saliva produced in these glands is secreted into the mouth from a duct near your upper second molar called the Sensen duct. You can try to find it right now if you want to, but it's not really that readily noticeable unless you know what you're looking for. It could look like a little dimple or nub with like a tiny hole in the inside lining of your cheek in that area. You can see if you can find it. Just, you know, of course, wash your hands first um, or try to like check it out on one of your friends or loved ones, but with their permission, of course. Uh, and, you know, in some cases you can actually get an infection of the duct or, or the gland, and you might notice like pus actually coming out through this duct. Um, that's, that's where it would leak out of. Um, yeah, sounds yummy, right? Okay, moving on. <laughs> so next we have the submandibular glands, which are smaller. They're about the size of a walnut, and you can find them just below your jaw. So where you were kind of feeling before, kind of on, on the base of your jaw, towards the back by your ear, if you just rotate to the underside of your jaw and kind of like press up almost, not to where your tongue is, not in the front, but like kind of like where the base of your tongue might be, I guess would be the best way to explain it. Um, that's where you will find your submandibular glands there beneath the mandible, um, which is your jaw. And the saliva produced here is secreted into the mouth from under the tongue. Makes sense, right? Okay, last of the major salivary triad are the sublingual glands. So since we're already comparing these glands to nuts, I guess you could say these are more almond-shaped. So you're gonna find those right under the floor of the mouth and below either side of the tongue. So kind of if you were to like, remember where you were pressing just a moment ago, shift forward more to like the point of your chin and then kind of press up to where the base of your tongue is there. Um, and that is where your um, sublingual glands are. So the saliva produced by these glands is also important primarily to digestion um, well, actually, when I say these glands, I mean all three sets. Um, it's really important for digestion because it moistens the food that we consume, helping us to create a food bolus, making it easier for us to swallow that bolus. But it also contains an important enzyme called amylase that makes it easier for the stomach to break down starches in food. Starches or carbs are basically long chains of simple sugars like glucose that link together to form a larger, more complex compound. Simple sugars are also absorbed much more readily and break down easily for quick energy. Now this reminds me of a really easy experiment that you can try at home. If, you've ha if you have kids, you know, encourage them to try along with you. And um, you've probably heard of this one from middle school science or somewhere along the line. I think that's where I might have picked it up, to be honest, <laughs> long time ago. Um, and if you haven't tried it, give it a whirl. It might just become your new favorite party trick. Who knows? So all you need is an unsalted saltine cracker, though it really should work the same with any other kind of starchy, unsalted cracker. Um, 
Yeah, I, I think just about any brand should really work. Just make sure that there's no salt there to, I guess, like confuse your taste buds. Um, so you're going to take that cracker, chew it up, just don't swallow it. You can even let it sit in the pocket of your cheek, that space between your molars and your cheek. I always think of my sister because she would like store food there that she didn't want to eat. She was so stubborn. Sorry if you're listening, um, but it's true. So <laughs> she would store food in between her molars and her cheek like for a full day. My parents would always be amazed like, wait a minute, honey, didn't you eat that for breakfast? Like how did you have like whole meals in between yet you still have your breakfast in that pocket in your cheek just because you didn't like it and you didn't want to swallow it. So anyways, yeah perseverance all right um so she probably you know was a master at this experiment um and if you're listening you can definitely validate that so anyways as you chew and time passes you might notice a subtle change in the taste of the cracker now this has become because some of the starch is beginning to convert into sugar that's a catabolic reaction that's happening and it's caused by the salivary enzyme amylase which breaks carbohydrates down into smaller molecules and uh, which are the simple sugars that make them so see if you can detect that change and that slight sweetening and that's basically what's happening it's you know um, you could think of it as like releasing the smaller molecules which are simple sugars and you're actually going to taste that now since i just threw my sister under the bus i'll go ahead and throw myself under the bus um, as I said before, saliva does help to prevent infections of the mouth and throat, keep teeth healthy, um, and it also helps to prevent bad breath. So this just kind of reminded me, you know, whenever I go to get, to get my teeth cleaned, um, like a dental hygienist appointment, I always, I need that little like suction thing. <laughs> probably more than most people I feel like I don't know not that I've ever like sat in on anyone else's you know dental hygienist visit I just feel like I drool a lot so I'm always apologizing to my hygienist um, and I always get the same response so at least they're consistent um, and they just remind me that you know if, if you drool a lot you probably don't have bad breath and it's good for your teeth so um I don't know. I don't know. I still suspect that I might have bad breath at times, but I'm just going to go with it. And if it happens to you too, and you're a drooler like me, then it's a good thing. Um, okay. So moving on, uh, as you know, saliva does help us to speak clearly. I don't know if you've ever tried speaking with a dry mouth and throat. Um, like if you're ever, you know, if you wake up from a really deep sleep and you had your mouth wide open and then, you know, there's someone like, you know, sitting over you, staring at you in your sleep because, you know, you live with like a creepo and, you know, you want to say something to them like, what are you doing? Um, I don't know. This is getting weird, but your voice might crack. It might feel uncomfortable. You know, imagine having dry mouth you know constantly and and um, being challenged to just speak comfortably um, now getting a little more serious if you've ever taken um, antihistamines or anticholinergic medications that cause this like cogentin atropine um, oxybutynin i'm never sure if i'm saying that one correctly um, amitriptyline or other medications used to treat asthma, allergies, overactive bladder, that's what that one's for, depression, or symptoms of Parkinson's disease, then you know exactly what I'm talking about. 
Um, now, not to digress too much again, but I mean, this is a podcast, so it should be, you know, maybe somewhat interesting. And I don't know if you'll connect with this, but when I think of anticholinergic compounds, the movie Perfect Stranger is what comes to mind. Do you guys remember that one? It was um, Halle Berry, and then, oh my gosh, I feel so bad. I don't know why I can't think of his name. He was married to Demi Moore. Wow. Bruce Willis. I believe he was the, the male role in this. Um, so that's the movie that comes to mind. She, Halle Berry, played um, like a journalist posing as a temp in his business. Um, and she was really just investigating him. And her character at a certain point uh, uses Belladonna, which is also known as Nightshade to commit a homicide. It's kind of dark, I know. What I was really young when I saw it, so it definitely left a mark on my memory. Um, and I was actually like really kind of impressed that they, you know, used a flower, um, a, you know, a plant as, you know, the weapon of choice. It, you know, I really hadn't seen that in too many movies. Um, so as an herbalist, I think that this is actually important to segue here briefly because I always like to remind patients in real life that no matter how much we might prefer to go, quote, natural with our remedies, natural does not always mean safe when applied to the general public. I worked with this one physician who um, countless times I would hear her tell patients, um, this was in, in, in dermatology, you know, okay, that's that's great that, you know, you use natural products, wonderful, um, but you do need to remember that you can still have reactions with natural products. Poison ivy is natural, um, so that, that kind of comes to mind there. Um, but I mean, I'm all for it. Just do your research and know that, you know, um, you need to make sure that the proper studies have been done um, and you should also be aware of you know toxicology and uh, safety profiles before just you know taking anything haphazardly um, but we're kind of getting off topic here but this is why um, I do want to use this segue as an important platform to disseminate some important information that is related to this um, since we are talking about dry mouth and um, nightshade and you know and uh, different medications that can cause this um, as a mom I never understood why I have seen homeopathic remedies for babies particularly for teething and upper respiratory tract infections containing nightshade so yes the same plant that was used you know as a homicide vehicle for in Halle Berry's movie um, is used in your baby's natural homeopathic teething medications um, it's important to know that even two berries can be fatal in small children so the brand that comes to mind here is yes I'm going to call it out by name Highlands specifically their teething tablets um, I did have Highlands in my pantry actually for my children and um, this was before I was religious about reading ingredient labels and then when I became religious about reading ingredient labels I, the bottle literally fell out of my hands when I realized what they had on I think it was like a cough medication um, so anyways um, they also have a fever and inflammation remedy which is sold at Walgreens and Walmart currently um, so if you do have any Highlands products, check that the ingredient list um, doesn't have anything 
that I'm talking about in this episode, belladonna or nightshade or anything that reads scopolamine, dwayberry, great moral, or banewort, other names that you'd probably not see on your children's health support product label would be death cherries, devil berries, devil's herb, or beautiful death. So I think that they would probably opt for a different name. So good thing the plant has multiple names, right? Um, so much to choose from. But they all refer to the same plant. Um, Boyeron, which I really am sure that I'm butchering the pronunciation of that company, even though I've used them for years. Um, it's another popular brand. I know they sell it at Whole Foods and, you know, at most drugstores, Walgreens, I think maybe CVS. Um, I do use their products in my practice for other applications, but they do sell belladonna as a fever relief, so please steer clear. Unless you're really confident in your dosing and, uh, I don't know, <laughs> yeah, or unless you have other, you know, some people use them for recreational purposes, but that's another conversation. Um, now the flowers of this plant are, actu are actually absolutely beautiful. Um, and, you know, as we are saying, contact can cause severe side effects, even in adults. I feel like we don't really see this grown in gardens and landscaping as much these days because as beautiful as they are, um, because of the responsibility and danger inherent in cultivating these plants, um, it's definitely not a preferable one to grow. Um, now, just since we're talking about this, even though we're still talking about saliva here, yes, um, it's important to mention that signs of toxicity include an increased heart rate and body temperature, skin flushing, constipation, decreased urination, agitation, hallucination, dilated pupils, and to bring the conversation back home out of my lengthy soapbox segue, my apologies, the side effect we're looking for that most people experience is... Let's see, can you remember what we were talking about? I barely do myself at this point. Yes, can you guess it? That's right, it's dry mouth. Okay, so back on the saliva train. The condition dry mouth actually has a name. Yeah. Dry mouth is clinically referred to as xerostomia, and it can also be caused by non-clinical conditions as well, such as sleeping with your mouth open, like I mentioned before, definitely guilty, um, dry, hot weather, or eating dry foods. If it hasn't been caused by a medical condition or medication, frequently sipping water, sugar-free fluids, or using a room humidifier can help to alleviate this condition if you experience it often. Um, certain foods can help also, like crunchy veggies and fruits. Um, they'll help to trigger, trigger saliva production as well. Um, think carrots, broccoli, cauliflower, cucumbers, even apples. Um, if you already have xerostomia, sucking or chewing on something sugar-free like gum can occasionally help to alleviate dryness. And alcohol and tobacco avoidance, um, caffeine as well, sorry, um, that's also an important measure to take, as difficult as it may sometimes be. Um, but that actually already applies for a number of conditions, so you'd be doing yourself a favor. Um, everything in moderation, people. Now, the consistent recommendations are to avoid sugar, whether in drink form or gum or food or candy. Um, and I'm going to be completely honest. I'm all for it, but I'm not entirely sure why the exact reason is. 
And I think it's because there's more than one. Um, I'm just gonna put a few ideas out there and hopefully at least one of them is right for any saliva specialists out there. Um, definitely please reach out and comment because I'd be happy to update this information in any future podcasts. Um, but for now, my best guess is that if you suffer from dry mouth and you introduce something to your mouth that has a high sugar content, it's number one, going to put you at an increased risk for dental caries because, you know, just think of that concentrated sugar sitting there without anything to dilute it, wash it, remove it, or protect your enamel from it. Um, another reason might be that dry mouth is often a sign of high blood glucose in both type 1 and type 2 diabetes. For many people, this is a presenting sign, as we said before. Um, in pediatric medicine, when parents report that their children consume a markedly high amount of water throughout the day, diabetes is also on the differential table. So just kind of giving an example. The best way to tie that example back into this concept um, of why sugary foods are not recommended is because consuming sugary drinks or hard candies in this case would be like throwing more fire on a fire instead of water. Um, that may not have made total sense. You know, most people will say like throwing gasoline on a fire, but like, you know, it's like throwing more of the same thing on the same thing. Anyways, lastly, I think consuming sugary products is dehydrating. So we already know that. Um, higher sugar intake causes the cells in the body to transfer more water into the blood through osmosis thereby causing an increase in urination. So um, that's probably, I don't know, if I were to guess on all three, I would say that that's my vote. That's one that gets my vote because, you know, sugary products um, cause you to be dehydrated and um, we're trying to increase salivation and, you know, hydration of the mouth, not dehydrate the body more. Hopefully one of those three answers was convincing enough to encourage you to avoid sugary food items, regardless of existing xerostomia. And on that note, I think we will sign off from this Health Bite feature. Um, be sure to keep an eye out for upcoming Health Bites intermixed with other wellness topics on our podcasts, as I'll be sure to label them and make them easy to find in the podcast episode index. Hopefully you've learned something today to give you a new respect for drool. Beyond its fun application and DNA testing kits like 23andMe or Viome and ooh, okay guys, hot tip. Be sure to find your discount link and offer code in the show notes uh, where you can save $20 off your Viome testing kit. Feel free to message the show with any questions about how Viome works and why it's important to get familiar with your body's microbiota. From protecting your oral ecosystem from infection and decay to breaking down carbs and sugars for the beginnings of digestive absorption to keeping your breath fresh, your saliva plays a big role in your start to digestive and dietary health, as well as guarding the gateway to organ systems and systemic health, as we will talk about in future episodes. Thanks for tuning in and taking the time to hopefully learn something new today. 
When we invest in knowledge pertaining to our own health, we get to recoup the most interest. That being said, I hope this was interesting. Wishing you and yours the best of health and harmony. Until next time, feel good and feel great. Thank you.